Igniting Hope Ministries welcomes you. Prepare yourself to listen to a message that will spark hope and renew your mind. Thank you. Dressed up for the occasion. Huh. Yeah, just just somebody just say fire. <laughs> say a freedom. Say breakthrough. No limits. We just got back. Uh, you you might be guessing. We just recently went somewhere. <laughs> I, I know this. Is, not Mexico, Bill. Not Mexico. Yeah, no. We'll pray for Bill's discernment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just got back from uh, Taiwan yesterday, and um, church in Tofen, uh, Tofen Home Church gave me this. I said, "Wow, I, I, I think I'll wear this on Sunday night because I." I think something will happen when I wear it. That's just what I thought. Something. And then we went to a church called I Am Church in um, Taipei. That they, uh, they have services in a nightclub. And we were there on Friday night. And I mean, all I can say is, wow. Wow. So, um, by the way, just um, anybody here from Taiwan? We got, we bless you. And I, I felt like in the beginning, the Lord wanted us to just, just go after Asia. Just um, people from Asia or who have a, feel one of your prime callings is to minister to the people in Asia. Why don't you just stand right now if that's you. And we just, um, we make a declaration over you that there's a tsunami of revival in Asia. In Asia, yeah, just uh, we lay hands, lay hands on these, and we we declare over you just uh, absolute catalytic breakthrough in your own life and influence, influence in an incredible way. Thank you for what you're doing all through Asia. Thank you for the, the wave coming out of China, out of Japan, out of Cambodia, out of Turkey, out of Russia, Singapore, Korea. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the nations. Thank you for the nations. Thank you for Asia. Thank you for new strategies, new signs and wonders. Just leaders being raised up, incredible leaders being raised up in Asia. Yeah, thanks, Father. You want to pray into that? Mm. Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. Anybody um, 
here speak Chinese, Mandarin? Anybody? I got, a, wanna, I got some of my books translated into Chinese. So you want to come over? Yeah. This is uh, Cracks in the Foundation. So we'll just bless you. Yes. Yeah, we, had, we had so much fun in Taiwan, but I'm yeah. not real used to speaking with a translator, and I had one of those awkward moments when you realize your favorite quote from your testimony doesn't translate. <laughs> it was one of Bill's quotes, you know, who knew? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I was sharing with the people my testimony about how when I had gotten saved, I was really shy and timid and did not speak in public. And I got saved. And the first time they asked me to speak in front of a group of about 20 people, I was supposed to share my testimony. And I stood up, looked at the people, started crying, sat down and said, I will never speak in public again. And years later, I started getting a lot of prophetic words that... I was going to be a teacher, and I kept thinking, but that involves public speaking. That couldn't be me. Um, you know, there's just no way to get around that. And uh, one of the things that changed my life was something that Bill said. And I don't even know if he knows this, but back in the 90s, he used to talk about a day was coming when the anointing would be so strong that you could just say peanut butter, and people would say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> That was the point that I realized my translator didn't know what peanut butter was. <laughs> he gave me this look of, what? So I misquoted him and I said, oh, all you have to do is say tofu. And they'll say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> they got it. <laughs> and in my testimony... What really hit me when he said that was, I realized, oh, I can do that. I can say tofu. I mean, I can say peanut butter. <laughs> and that was when I realized my faith isn't in my ability to speak. My faith is in his ability to anoint what I say. And it just freed me up. It was like, oh, I don't have to perform. I just have to know who God is and that he can anoint and touch people's lives. Amen. I want you to say this after me. Say, God brought me here tonight because he believes in me more than I believe in myself. He's raising me up for something bigger than I know. Something's happening in me tonight. It's going to increase and I'll never be the same again. Tonight's going to be a turning point night in my life. I believe it. Amen. It was great to work with Eric um, in, in Weaverville. And, and after Eric left, uh, Bill's son-in-law Gabe and his daughter Leah came and... Uh, Help and Gabe sitting on the front row, and he asked me, Eric was up there, which one of us was better? <laughs> and, and I said, it's a tie. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, just in case you don't know uh, who we are, I know Eric introduced us, and we're on staff. Uh, I work with um, Global Legacy, Paul Manwaring. Just love working with him, and uh, got here in 2008, and with a main assignment of travel. And we travel about half the year. And last year I was in uh, over 80 different ministries. And I've become like a spiritual wine connoisseur. (laughs) Uh, I come into places, "Mm, that's a unique vintage here. (laughs) This, This is powerful too. And uh, work with Paul on the leader development program, which I know some of you are a part of, and just uh, online distance learning curriculum for the revival culture. Paul and I just actually did a a believability school (laughs) a week ago, and and we we had a good time. And uh, I want to just show you a picture of Paul, and maybe in a way you haven't seen Paul. You know, that's... You know, Paul, 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 because he's from England, he has some beliefs about his personality that, that we, we've been trying to overcome. You know, so, so, some, some bad beliefs. And, and I just, that just does my heart good. So we, we bless that and... Uh, So I work with Global Legacy. We've written a number of books, um, Victorious Mindsets, uh, Let's Just Laugh at That, uh, Igniting Faith in 40 Days, Declarations. Just um, actually, we just got a pre-release version of a book we're going to come out in May. It's called Crucial Moments, and it's about uh, situations in our lives that, that at first glance would... Uh, create spirits of heaviness, but actually learning how to flip those moments into, um, you know, seeing what God's really doing and walking in joy and actually choosing to walk in joy and the power of that. So that's, uh, that's coming out. And um, Wendy's got a book called Living from the Unseen, which is a powerful book. And a couple things we're doing on May 17th, we're having an all-day seminar here, a Joy and Hope seminar in Reading, and and then we're doing a um, pastors conference in October in Denver, Colorado, which we're that's our first conference like that we're doing as our ministry, Igniting Hope Ministries, and looking forward to that. And so we bless you, and we're going to go after some joy and hope tonight. Is that, is that good? Anybody here too joyful or too hopeful? <laughs> and, um, you know, I love, I love joy and hope that I get from being in atmospheres. You know, like, like here, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to walk in joy and hope. here. And, but I really want joy and hope based on what I believe. And, and I, believe, I believe joy and hope are the fruit of good beliefs. Believing truth. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy uh, and peace in believing. Say in believing. believing. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the moment we believe truth is the moment we get filled by the God of hope. 
And when we minister, we, we like to do two things. We like to have people say things, and we like to have people laugh at things. And we're going to be laughing a lot tonight, so I, why don't you guys just warm up your laughers? <laughs> just, just warm them up. I, I wouldn't... That's good. That's good. That's, some, of, some of your laughs are, are too warm. <laughs> too. We like to get people to say things. How many know you can't change your life without changing how you talk? And if you actually want to accelerate the changing of your life, change how you talk. James 3.2 says if you can bridle your words, you can bridle your whole body. It's... It says in uh, Proverbs 18:21, it says, Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love what? Those who love the revelation that life is in the power of the tongue will eat the fruit of, of their past words. You can't think your way out. Jesus didn't think his way out of the wilderness. He spoke his way out. When the devil tempted him in, in Matthew 4... And said, you know, if you are the, the son of God, you know, turn these stones into bread. He, he didn't just think something. He didn't just stand there and think. He actually spoke. And we can't think our way out and we actually can't think our way in. We have to speak our way in. Just say, life is in the power of the tongue. Say it again. Say it louder. Now that revelation is a shortcut through the wilderness. And, and, and we, know, we know there's truth that death is in the power of the tongue. I mean, for some Christians, the best thing they, they could do is stop talking. <laughs> Just stop talking. There's an interesting story in, in Luke 1 where the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and says, Your, your prayer has been heard. You and your, your wife of old age, Elizabeth, who's been barren, you're going to have a miracle, baby. She's going to become John the Baptist. And, and here, here's the, the Backlund expanded version uh, of that story. The Heavenly Father's watching Zechariah and the angels' interaction and the Heavenly Father says, uh, Hey, Gabriel, uh, get the remote for me. <laughs> get the remote, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, yes, can you show me where the mute button is? Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to mute Zechariah. Wait, I, I can't trust him to talk around what I'm doing. Got to mute him for nine months. He, he thinks he can just say whatever he feels. Yeah, let's laugh at that. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he doesn't even think he's powerful. But he can just say things. doesn't have any effect on anything at all. Let's laugh at that too. <laughs> so we're, we're going to mute him for nine months. I say, you know, Lord... You need to mute me, mute me. You know, if I'm talking out of my, oh yes, amen, out of my great understanding, yes, yes. Let me, let me, let me comment on that. <laughs> Just 
mutiny. And I just, I just break off tonight any tendency to curse our lives through our words. I, I just break off the lie that says we're not powerful. When he was writing his book, You're Crazy If You Don't Talk to Yourself, he was constantly <laughs> quoting <laughs> that verse about death and life is in the power of the tongue. Only he kept shortening it to life is in the power of the tongue. And I'd hear him, you know, mumbling under his breath and quoting that scripture. And, um, every time he said life is in the power of the tongue, something would just kind of go, oh, that doesn't feel right. You know, it just felt sacrilegious to shorten that scripture. And finally God said, do you know why it bothers you when he does that? And I'm like, no, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. And he goes, it's because you have no problem believing that there's death in the power of your tongue, but it bothers you that you have that much power, that there's life in the power of your tongue. And I realized religiously, it did bother me to think that I had that much power to give life. It just shook me. It was like, and then he said, and you know why I know it bothers you to have life in the power of your tongue? And I'm like, why? And he goes, because you don't speak. <laughs> Something's happening yeah. back there. <laughs> Something. <laughs> what would you be saying if you believed that? You know, it's a little scarier to speak life, especially over dead things, because people think you're nuts. You know, people applaud you when you just, you know, talk about the death in a place, but you just sound weird if you talk about the life. So he really got a hold of me. And then when we were discussing the scripture one day about uh, John the Baptist's parents and Zechariah being muted because God couldn't trust him, not to abort what he was doing. And this thought came into my head from the Lord. It just was like, Wendy, do you know what the big issue about abortion in the United States is? And I'm like, well, it, the whole argument is based on when is a baby a baby. And he applied that to the whole concept of God speaking life into you to bring to something to birth and delivery and he said when at what point after I've spoken life prophetically into your life is that a baby is it when you actually see the delivery of that promise when you have the manifestation or is it a baby when he first speaks it at conception We don't want to abort what he's planting within us. We need to nourish those things. Even though other people don't know you're pregnant and they don't understand what you're carrying. You know, how many of us women, we go to a doctor and they tell us we're pregnant, but we have no symptoms yet. We believe them. I've got life in me. So when we receive those prophetic words from the Holy Spirit or from the Word of God itself, we need to capture those. That seed 
has just had conception. Somebody say, wow. Wow. We also like to have people laugh at things. Now, I I used to be joy impaired and laughter impaired. (laughs) (laughs) And got delivered. (laughs) How many of you know you you can't be joyful under a religious mindset? It's impossible to be joyful with that. Because if you are joyful, it, it, it reveals you don't get it. Because <laughs> if you got it, you wouldn't be so happy. Because <laughs> if you prayed one hour, you should have prayed two. <laughs> You fasted for three days, but you ate a marshmallow on day two. (laughs) And now God is angry with you. (laughs) That's the voice of experience. (laughs) That was dumb. (laughs) That was just dumb. He doesn't even like marshmallows. <laughs> it looked good at the time. I don't know. It looked good. <laughs> but you can't, you know, under religious thinking, you can't. Now, I mean, how many of you know when Jesus came, he broke the back of religion? I mean, we should have get a hint in Luke 2. 10, when the angels are announcing to the shepherds about Jesus, uh, you know what they said? They said, you know, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. And so it was a liberating moment. The, the bringing of Jesus in, in, into the world was the liberation of joy. And, and you know, you can't, you can't be joyful for you're working for God. But if you're working with God, it creates radical joy. And, and so the Lord just, you know, basically said, okay, Steve, if you're going to be strong, my joy's got to be your strength. Nehemiah 10. I, I believe our spiritual load-bearing capacity, the level of it is in direct proportion to the level of joy in our lives. And God's called us to actually increase what we can carry. And part of that, being able to do that, is to, to walk in joy. Joy... Uh, it, improves your health. Laughter improves your health. Proverbs 17.22 says a merry heart is good like medicine. Dr. God's got a prescription for you. He says laugh heartily three times a day. Let's just laugh at that. (laughs) I just want to throw in another reason why there's not a lot of joy in religion is because religion only celebrates perfection. But God celebrates progress. I used to, when I was trying to, you know, see change in my life, for instance, if I was, you know, having an issue with anger or something, I would overcome it for a few weeks. I never had an issue with anger. That's why I'm using that as an example. (laughs) (laughs) Overcome it for a few weeks. (laughs) And, uh... 
She never gets mad at me. <laughs> never. And then I would get angry and then think, oh, it didn't work. I'm right back where I started because I was only looking for perfection. And then God said, no, you went two weeks this time without falling. And what I discovered is that when you celebrate your progress, it gives you momentum and motivation and strength to keep going. But if you condemn yourself when you fall, you actually lose your momentum and you feel like you're still back at square one. So we need to celebrate the progress and say, this is working. It changes everything. It gives you that momentum and joy. That's what, you know, in a religious church, because nobody is perfect, there's no celebration. Hmm. (laughs) You can't celebrate people if you're waiting for them to be perfect. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, you needed to hear that. So joy, joy is a big deal. I mean, and basically what the Lord told me, Steve, to laugh, you have to let go of something. Laughter lets go of things. When, when I don't, you know, if Wendy and I are not agreeing, <laughs> and if I think she's really wrong, I don't, no, I'm not laughing. Mm-mm. Because if I laugh, you'll think things are okay around here. They're not okay. I'm a victim of you. <laughs> this is why he was joy impaired. <laughs> the only way I can walk in joy in this house if you, if, is if you do what I think you should do. My joy depends on you. Just laugh at that. I need everything lined up just right in my life to be joyful. (laughs) I can't have any unresolved situations in my life for me to be joyful. Can't have any financial pressures going on for me to be joyful. (laughs) Can't have any personal weaknesses happening for me to be joyful. My governmental officials in Washington, D.C. need to be doing what I think they should be doing for me to walk in joy. (laughs) And the Lord said, hey, Steve, if you're not joyful now, the chances of you being joyful in the future are slim. Because I got news for you. Your lack of joy isn't a circumstantial issue. It's a you issue. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. <laughs> Thank you so much. I must have a few issues. And, and to laugh, you have to let go of things. And I, f- I found out that laughing at lies breaks off the power of the lie. 
I mean, how many of you know, I mean, just when we think a lie in our brain, it sounds, sounds true. But then when we speak it out of our mouth, it really sounds ridiculous. And it says in Psalm 2, 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. I said, if God's laughing at lies, I'm going to laugh at lies. I'm going to experiment and see what happens. And so I've been doing it for years, and I found it's, a, it's really, it's a great technique to break off the power of the lie. Now, many of you have done this, and, but some of you haven't. So I'm going to bring you into an experiment. We're going to laugh at a few lies here. You guys ready for that? Okay. I'm going to share a lie. I'd like you to laugh. And some of you, you might say, well, you know, my, this laughter thing feels fake. Feels fake to laugh. No, your laughter's not fake. It's just rusty. <laughs> it's like an atrophied muscle that hasn't been used. I mean, let's say you're trying to lift a weight you, you can't lift. How many of you would say, this feels fake? <laughs> It's not fake, you just haven't worked it out. So I'm going to share a lie and, and just try to make a noise. <laughs> just try. <laughs> Let's just start off with just an old classic lie here. God is not going to meet your needs in the future. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> how, about, how about this one? Nobody likes you. <laughs> no, my spouse will never change. <laughs> <laughs> there. You know, I think some people think that one's true. I know. There's some people laughing too hard at that one. That's just. Uh... <laughs> How about this one? You are a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give an extra laugh on that one. <laughs> and here, here's one of the, the devil's all-time favorite lies. Laughter is of the devil. for finding out whether the thoughts that you're having are of God or not. And one of them is, is if you wouldn't use it as a counseling tool for someone else, you probably shouldn't be using it on yourself. You know, if you've been having the thought, I'm not good enough, 
But you never tell someone when you're counseling, yeah, you're probably not good enough. (laughs) You're such a failure. (laughs) You know, that's just a little key. You know, if you don't use it in your counseling tool belt, then you might want to get rid of it for counseling yourself. Yeah. One of the things that when God started talking to Steve and I about having joy, my first thought was, oh no, I have to be joyful too? You know, it was kind of like, I'm doing everything I can to be pleasing to God and now I have to work up this emotion, which is very difficult to do. And so just in case there's someone else out there like me, even though God can give you a sovereign thing of joy, you don't have to work up an emotion of joy. You just have to change what you believe. He said, your joy and your hope always has to be attached to a belief. And that was what set me free. It was like, oh, okay. If I'm not joyful here, I need another perspective. I need to factor God into my future. You know, that worry is imagining your future without God. But what would happen if you factor him into your future? Hmm. That's got to change your emotion. Say that worry quote again. Uh, Worry is imagining your future without God. (laughs) You know what's fun is, you know, God created our imagination not for worry, but for faith. And the... God didn't create our our imagination for worry. He created it for faith. Because we need an imagination to see something we've never seen before. But how many of us actually spend time giving our imagination to God? And, you know, Steve and I call it worrying with God. Because we used to worry without Him. And now we worry about all the good, you know. I just came to the conclusion, at some point, goodness and mercy is going to catch up. And I'm going to imagine what that looks like. So that I can, because faith isn't blind, it's visionary. And the enemy knows if he can get you to see something in your imagination, you'll attach faith to it. So we have to give God our imagination so he can paint a picture of what he's going to be doing. So we can attach faith to that. Let's just worry about a couple things that... (laughs) I'm worried that we're all going to go into a corporate trance. (laughs) And we'll still be here tomorrow morning. (laughs) And they have to use this for school. Yeah, I'm worried about that. (laughs) 
I'm worried that some of your healing anointings are going to just manifest at such a high level that you're not going to be able to even go out of your house without wearing a disguise. <laughs> so we're going to laugh at a few things. By the way, we've got a, got a couple pictures up here just to help our, our, our laughter. We ready with those? says, I don't always laugh, but when I do, it's at lies. <laughs> and I felt like there was going to be something about corporate laughter tonight. You know, it just, it's always good to laugh with somebody else. So we just, we just release that over you. Just some of our story. Uh, just got saved at... We were 19, I was 19, she was 18, I was a, I was a hippie, actually had hair. <laughs> we were both hippies, got saved and, uh, on the coast of California over there and uh, started soon going to the church uh, in Fortuna that Chris's daughter and son-in-law pastor and, and great church teaching us how to surrender to the Lord and, and just... I love the night just singing, you know, with, with, with arms high and hearts, you know, abandoned to the Lord. And that culture was so powerful. And, and, and we just lived actually in Romans 12.1 where it says, yeah, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to give your, yourselves as a, a living sacrifice. And we, we lived there. And in, in 1991, uh, Jehovah Sneaky, anybody met him? How many of you know God's not always logical? <laughs> Jehovah Sneaky sent us out to what Eric was, where Eric was talking about, Round Mountain, Nevada. Let's just laugh at that. <laughs> it's, it's a great place. And I, we didn't know it, but the Lord, Lord likes to send people to deserts to teach them how to repent. And one of the greatest definitions of repentance is to change the way you think. So the, we went out there, and it was like, as we look back on it, the Lord was saying, okay, we're going to move you, we're going to have you keep Romans 12.1 about giving yourself a living sacrifice, but we're going to move you into Romans 12.2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And be, because... Transformation comes from, from renewing of the mind. There, there, there's a certain level of transformation, obviously, that comes from surrender. We heard about tonight the power that comes from surrender. But, but truly, if I'm going to be transformed, I have to think at a higher level. I have to believe truth at a higher level. Jesus said in John 8, 32, He said, The truth will make you free. So, and... and Romans 12.1 is about, you know, we, we were saved because we believe in Jesus. And, and as Chris so well says, we have a ministry because we believe like Jesus. And that's Romans 12.2. By the way, let's, just, let's laugh at a lie. Romans 12.2 is a mistranslation. <laughs> what it really meant to say is be transformed by trying harder. 
The reason this is not working in your life, Steve, is because you're doing something wrong. Let's laugh it out. And I'm not saying that we never do anything with actions, but the reason that's not working in my life is because I'm, I'm believing something wrong. There, if I'm going to see something transform, it is because I'm renewing my mind with truth. Now, Romans 12, too, is a great verse. It, it, takes, it, it takes all limits off our lives. There, there's no limit to how much I can renew my mind, so there's no limit to how much I can be transformed. I'm not preordained by God to a certain level. But that verse tells me that if, if I renew my mind, I will be transformed. And what it also tells me is that whatever, I re, whatever truth I renew my mind with, I'll be transformed to. Whatever I renew my mind with, I will be transformed to. If I renew my mind with the truth that I am a powerful influencer of the nations, I will transform my future into being a powerful influencer of the nations. If I renew my mind with the truth, I am a great decision maker. By the way, I want you to say that. I am. If I renew my mind with that truth, I will transform my future into great decision making. If I renew my, my mind with the lie that, that nobody likes me, let's laugh at that. <laughs> I'll actually transform my future into in, in difficult relationships. There, there's a, it works in a positive and a negative. There's an interesting a story in Mark 6 where the people of Jesus' hometown had renewed their mind with a lie that Jesus was who his past said he was. And they renewed their mind with that. That's how they, they actually rehearsed it over, over their mind. And they transformed their future into limitation. Jesus went there fully capable and able to do great things. But it says he could only do a few miracles among them because of, of, of their unbelief, because of who they actually thought he was. And when we start getting a hold of this, you know, when I first started, you know, understanding the power of my beliefs, it, it discouraged me and almost depressed me. I said, man, I've got to have some bad beliefs. But then I got so encouraged because I said, I'm not, I'm not a victim of the devil, people, my past, or a preordained plan of God that puts limits on me. I'm not a victim of any of those things. I'm just only a victim of my beliefs, and I, and I can renew my mind. I can believe truth intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we discovered is that you cannot consistently do what you don't believe you are. You know, if you're trying to act like a Christian, then that's all it is, an act, and it's work. You have to actually believe you are something different than you were. In the 60s, they did a study of failing math students, and they hypnotized them. And I'm not promoting hypnotism. It's just what the study was. But what I find fascinating is they didn't teach them math under hypnosis. They just told them that they were fantastic math students. And 100% of them went from the lowest grades in the class to the highest grades in the class. 
simply because the lid of their identity had been removed. What would happen if we took that lid off of ourselves? It's not about, you know, being in <laughs> denial, but it's about recognizing that I have a new DNA and it's not something I have to perform to become. I have to release who I am. And part of that is coming into agreement with a new belief. Is you know, I, I think sometimes it's easier to surrender our actions than our belief system. It was one thing to do what God said to do. It was another thing to come into agreement that I was a powerful person because all of my past said I wasn't. I remember one day thinking, you know, I, I, I just felt like my whole problem was I hadn't given God enough of my heart. I thought I would have better character if he had all of my heart. So I went through this thing of just, oh, God, I give you my heart. I give you my heart because I wasn't seeing the, the transformation of my life. And so I thought it was a heart issue. And one day when I was telling him, you know, here's my heart, take it. And he said, Wendy, I've got your heart. I need your mind. It wasn't a heart issue. It was a belief issue. And that my life started changing radically and speedily when I started changing what I believed. And it wasn't that I didn't mentally agree with everything that was in the Bible. I just didn't have inner unity with it. You know, it's that, that thing. Of, I, I remember when we started doing declarations because faith comes by hearing. And we were doing that to, you know, really believe what the word said about us. And I remember asking the Holy Spirit, how will I know I believe this? And he said, you'll know you believe that when your emotions line up with it in the face of opposition. That's inner unity. And that, it, you know, it just, I didn't realize how much of the word was just a mental agreement for me. Yeah, I believe God's good. Yeah, I believe he'll provide all my needs in the future. Then why are you afraid? And there's no condemnation. We're all in this process. It's just knowing, okay, I need to work on this and believe it more. And I need to go after this truth until everything within me believes it. It's powerful. Surrendering our, our beliefs, yes, on one level is, is more difficult to surrender our hearts. And strongholds is a, is a term that the Bible uses for certain belief systems. They're like fortified beliefs that come out of our past experience or, or out of religious traditions. And, and the Christian life is, is, is a life of surrendering our beliefs. And, and, I mean, one of the ways we know we have a bad belief is every area where we don't have great hope in our life, we have a bad belief. The, the nature of deception is, is that you don't know you're deceived. How many of you know that? Because once you know you're deceived, you're no longer deceived. It's in deception class 101. So my, my lack of hope, and we teach on this in other areas, and it's taught here elsewhere, but, but my lack of hope is the indicator of I'm believing a lie. And so that's the beginning point of knowing that's an area where I've got to renew my mind. Because, because my battle is between lies and truth. 
Now, Wendy and I, we're not devil-focused Christians. We're belief-focused Christians. We're not going to be dumb about the devil, but we don't talk about the devil a lot, but we talk about our beliefs all the time. Because once you, once you get your beliefs right, you don't have to worry about the devil. And, and when I asked the Lord, you know, I've got the revelation. I said, okay, I know uh, lies are my problem. And, and I asked the Lord, Lord, show me every lie that I'm believing. Now, that was a dumb prayer. <laughs> that was really dumb. I should have prayed, Lord, show me 10% <laughs> of the lies. Because I got the revelation that almost everything I was believing in my life was a lie. And I was pastoring a church. <laughs> Let's not laugh at that. <laughs> I had great doctrine. I, I, I could, you know, recite the 16 tenets of faith of my denomination. Oh, yes, amen. I'm a great truth believer. <laughs> no, I mean, the Lord says, you know you're a great truth believer because of the hope you're going to have in your life. Because hope and joy are the evidence of good beliefs. They're, they're the evidence. And so when I asked the Lord, I said, okay, I, I, I want to go after lies. And so I, I said, when I asked him, show me lies, he took a phrase out of Genesis 3.11 where God asked Adam, who told you that you were naked? And took the phrase, who told you that? And started talking to me. So I, I would say something like this. I do not have the gift of healing. Let's laugh at that. <laughs> Holy Spirit saying, who told you that, Steve? Oh, that's, that's a good question, Holy Spirit. Let me think. I, I know who told me that. My past. My past told me I don't have... Yes, amen, my past told me that. The Lord says, why do you call yourself by your past rather than who I call you? <clears throat> well, Lord, the reason I call myself by my past rather than who you call me is because all the other Christians do it and I thought I was supposed to, too. <laughs> I would say this I am a disorganized person <laughs> let's laugh at that <laughs> some of you need to give an extra laugh on that one <laughs> who told you that Steve my wife <laughs> no it was really my past well, we got a pattern here, don't we, Steve? I like to call you by your, your future, and you like to call yourself by your past. I thought, I thought, Steve, you said you wanted to be like me. Well, well, Lord, I thought, I thought being like you was acting like you, not thinking like you. I'd say something like, "This area is hard for the gospel." Let's laugh at that. <laughs> Wasn't quite as hardy that time. <laughs> Lord said, Who told you that, Steve? The past. Wow, we really got a pattern here. And also, Lord, a couple prophets mentioned it too. <laughs> a couple prophets said this area was oppressed. How many of you know prophecies? The purpose of prophecy is not to diagnose the past experience of a person or place. Prophecy is not primarily diagnostic. Prophecy is primarily release people into who they already are. Release regions into who, what it already is. But they don't know it yet. And somebody's got to speak it. 
And so I found out, okay, that I like to call things by the past. I created most of my beliefs out of the past instead of God's Word. And, and the Lord said, Steve, your agreement, your perpetual agreement with negative past experience creates the biggest strongholds that block my purposes. Your perpetual agreement with negative past experience creates the biggest strongholds that block my purposes. I used to think it was Jezebel out there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I used to rebuke, I, I rebuke so much my rebuker got worn out. I was binding everything that moved. <laughs> and I'm not saying there's not a time where we go after regional things, but the greatest spiritual warfare is with our own beliefs. And I believe the greatest is to actually demolish the argument of past experience. Yeah, in 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about tearing down those strongholds. And I was meditating on that one day and looked up the word stronghold. And it means it's a place of defense. And in my studies on the brain, which I'm fascinated about, the more I study the brain, the more I'm convinced it was actually created for faith. Just the way it works. It's supposed to work for us. And um, so they've actually proven that your brain does have strongholds, ways of thinking. And they say that you see life through what you already believe. So actually what happens when you have a stronghold, for instance, if you have a stronghold of rejection, your brain every single day is looking for proof to defend that belief. And it will not notice when people are accepting you because it's not looking for acceptance. It's looking for a defense for its stronghold. So your brain is looking for proof of that. And I can remember God talking to me about building new strongholds because I used to go to bed at night and rehearse. I didn't know I was rehearsing proof of my negative belief systems about myself, that I was inadequate, that I was a failure. And I would rehearse those proofs. And he said... In building a new stronghold, every night you need to write down two or three things of proof for your new belief. And he said, you can be just as illogical as you were in your old proof finding. <laughs> he, you know, because people who have a rejection issue will take anything they can as proof. You know, the pastor saw me in the store and just walked on by. I knew he didn't like me. <laughs> that was proof. When another perception might be pastor didn't see you or pastor was in a hurry or pastor had a bad day and didn't feel like talking to anybody. And so he said, when you're building the new proof that you are the highly favored one and somebody waves at you, you just go, oh, there's proof. I knew they liked me. They may have been waving at the person behind me, but I'm taking it because I'm building a new stronghold for a new belief system. 
That's where we get to renew our minds and where we intentionally say, I'm going to believe this. I mean, the renewing of the mind isn't by osmosis. It's by specific truths that say, Steve, I insist you believe this. I insist you believe you're favored. I insist you believe when you lay hands on the sick, they recover. I, 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 I insist you believe you're anointed, whether you feel anointed or not. And, and, and literally, intentionally say, I'm going to renew my mind with that. We just break off passivity tonight. Passivity, just waiting. You know, if God wants me to have that, He knows where I am, He'll give me that. Let's just laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> in case somebody has a problem with that, we're not about being in denial. You know, you can say something like, I am an organized person having a disorganized experience. <laughs> <laughs> the point isn't being in denial. The point is, is what's your identity? Because that's what's going to change your future. And one of the things that God helped me with was because it was like, oh, but it just feels like I'm lying to say that I'm organized. And he said, well, I'm the creator of the universe. I'm very organized and I live in you. And then he said, you know, what would happen to a baby if it determined its future by its past? I've never walked before. I don't have the gift of walking. <laughs> and I've, when I tried to talk, nobody understood me. I'm not meant to talk. But babies inherently know that they don't use their past to determine their future. They look at their parents. So we're born again of the spirit and it's illegal to use your past to determine your future. You look at your daddy. You know, it, it's that I haven't raised the dead yet, but I will because daddy does. And the funny thing is, is you don't see depressed babies. <laughs> If they come from a halfway decent home, they're not depressed by their failure. Because everybody is rejoicing in their attempts to walk. And they are so convinced that it is within them to walk that they don't get discouraged and stop trying. But we stop trying to heal the sick after our failure. Because we're not totally convinced it's within us to do it. It's in your DNA. It's who you are. That's good. That's good. I mean, if, if, if parents were like many Christians... And watching their child try to walk and fall down, they, they'd say, Cut that out. Stop trying to be presumptuous. Because <laughs> if you had the gift of walking, you'd be walking right now. 
Because you're not walking, it, it proves you do not have the gift of walking. You have the gift of crawling. <laughs> we need to start wrapping this up, but let me just, just give you a couple other things here. Second <laughs> Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Anybody love that verse? Yeah, we got mighty weapons. And then it says, We demolish arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The highest level of spiritual warfare is to take every thought captive. That, that is, that's the only command in that great spiritual warfare passage, is to take thoughts captive. And it says we demolish arguments. And I, I believe the, the greatest argument, again, is the argument of past experience arguing against the truth of God's Word. I mean, you've got so many examples in Scripture where people started arguing. You know, just because uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So like God tells Moses, you're the deliverer of Israel. He's, he said this. He said, I cannot speak well. God, let me just give you some good information so you don't think so highly of me. His, his argument came out. The Lord just, boom. He, you know, and the, the Lord had to demolish the argument in the mind of Moses. The Lord talks to Jeremiah, says, uh, Jeremiah, you're, you're, you are a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, I am only a youth. He began arguing. Out came out, and the Lord says, "Do not say you are only a youth. Do not put limitations on your life based on your agreement with your past." He, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, prophesies to him. He is on an argument demolishing mission. The, the future of a nation is locked up in the arguments in Gideon's mind. Midianites oppressing. The angel didn't go to the Midianites. He didn't go to Baal. He went to Gideon. He said, O mighty man of valor. He prophesied. He called him who he was before he was. He was a mighty man of valor in a non-mighty man of valor experience. <laughs> but he was a mighty man of valor because we're not who our experience says we are. We are who God says we are. And, he, and Gideon just started arguing. You know, he, he said, hey, hey, Mr. Angel, have you, have you considered my family? My family's the least of the least. I'm the least in the family. God would never choose someone with a poor family background to do great things. Let's laugh at that. Ah. He said, where are the miracles? Well, yeah, if that to be true, we'd have to live in a dispensation of miracles. Let me help you out, Mr. Angel. The miracles ceased with Moses and the Pentateuch. <laughs> That's just for you, Bill. <laughs> and he argued, but, but the angel kept talking, finally demolished the argument. It happened also not only with truth, but with a supernatural thing with the fleece. It's not just truth, 
hearing just words, we, encounters, are key to break demolishing the argument. It got demolished, and, and, and there was 300 men in Gideon saved the nation. Once the argument got demolished, We, we have beliefs in four areas of life. We've got beliefs about God. We've got beliefs about ourselves. We have beliefs about uh, other people. And we have beliefs about circumstances. In every one of those areas, about God, ourselves, other people, and circumstances, every one of those areas, we have to intentionally renew our mind. In every one of those areas, there's going to be an argument that's going to come at us. You know, there's an argument about the goodness of God. When, when Satan talked to Eve in Genesis 3, he planted a seed in the mind of Eve that God was not good. That actually God was her problem. And, and the, the devil is not just the accuser of the brethren, he's the accuser of God to the brethren. And so in, in our journey of, of moving forward in the Lord... We know we're going to have to demolish the argument that God is not good. Every one of us is going to have to do that. And pastors want to argue. Certain verses in the Bible we don't understand are going to want to argue. And, and that has to be demolished. And you know, one of the best verses to demolish those arguments is, is John 3.16. You know, I don't understand a lot of things. But I'll tell you what I do understand. That any God who sends His only Son for me is a good God. He loves me. And I'm going to anchor my, my faith in that reality to demolish the argument. Because I don't want a root of bitterness to get in me. And, and the arguments about ourselves, the arguments about other people. I mean, just high-level leaders have high-level beliefs about the people they lead. And, and just to do, I mean, if, if Wendy and I would have been there and, you know, hearing the prophecy to Gideon, you know, mighty man of valor, I probably would have turned to Wendy and said, hey, uh, angel just gave bad word. <laughs> we, we know Gideon. <laughs> He's not a mighty man of valor. Wendy, let's just laugh at that. Uh -huh. No, we don't know. We don't, we don't know Gideon. We, we only know Gideon's past. We don't even know ourselves. Let alone other people. The argument of people's past is going to constantly come to us. And it, and it has to be demolished if we're going to be able to release people at the level God's called us to. It doesn't mean we ignore issues or pretend they're not there or don't confront. But how I believe about people is going to be a key factor of the level that people are going to be able to be released under my leadership. And, and the argument of circumstances, in Ezekiel 37, God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? I mean, how many of you know those circumstances were arguing? And the question is never how dry the bones are. The question is whether someone's renewed their mind enough to believe the bones can live. I'm going to do everything I can to stop bones from getting dry around me.
But ultimately, it doesn't matter how bad, how, how dry the bones are. Ultimately, the question is whether I believe the bones can live. And, and for where we're going, you know, even people in your own life, your circumstances in your life are your training ground for where you're going. And the argument that this is impossible, this can't happen, that argument is being demolished. Even tonight, you know, I sense just in my spirit tonight that the Lord is supernaturally doing something in your brains. That, 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 that something is shifting. Something is actually that the demolishing is... It started in everybody's life, but even tonight there's an acceleration of the demolishing of the argument that the past is truth. I just want to throw in to you, know, one day the realization came to me that it's not our past that's stopping us. It's the conclusions we made about ourselves when it happened. It's not what happened to you or what you did that disqualifies you. It's the conclusion you made about yourself. And so getting rid of those conclusions that you're a new creation, you're something different, is really huge. And the other part of when it talks about in Second Corinthians about taking every thought captive, one day it hit me that that word captive is an aggressive word those thoughts don't always want to go. Because our emotions get attached to certain beliefs and they feel so true. But you actually have to take it captive, even though it doesn't want to go. And in fact, the more emotion attached to it, the more you need to just decide, okay. It was kind of a shock to realize one day that my emotions didn't validate whether something was true or not. You know, emotions doesn't mean it's true. And when you get rid of that lie in itself, that'll change your life. Because I thought everything that I felt was true was true. And that set me free to realize, okay, that just means this is something I have to take captive that doesn't want to go. Let's laugh at this line. If something feels really, really, really true, it means it is true. <laughs> Let's give it an extra more laugh now. Because <laughs> feelings are the highest indicator of whether something is true or not. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you really needed to hear that one. <laughs> So, Father, thank you what you're doing tonight. Thank you, God, for just Romans 12, 2 and the power of the transformed mind. Thank you for Romans 12, 1, the heart surrender, the intimacy, the giving it all to you. But thank you that you're moving us, Lord, into a place of transformation. You're moving us into breaking off limitations off of our lives. You're moving us into freedom. You're, 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 you're taking all boundaries of what we think we can do and what we think our future is. You're, you're, you're annihilating that. 
Thank you tonight that you're demolishing the argument supernaturally that the past is not the truth, but your word is the truth. Thank you that we get our identity out of your word, not out of our experience. And thank you, Father, for that we'll never be the same. If you receive the word tonight, say, I receive it. I'll never be the same again. Amen. Give God thanks. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. We hope that you have been blessed by this message. For more resources, you can visit our website at ignitinghope.com.